This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is happening gang we have got an exciting episode this week on the inside football podcast with bill pulling in today's episode uh we get to talk about something that hey i'm not panicking but it'd be good to know how do roster transactions happen during the season what is bill's philosophy so he breaks down the various ways that your teams can acquire players let go of players how active of a trade season he thinks it's going to be and then ultimately a little bit of a deep dive into the panthers jaguars trade from this week that i think might have some consequence in the nfc South. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a minute and talk about one of our favorite sponsors on the pod, Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all your pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. We went through it last week, but we got that old who's going to be the coach at USC? I'm hoping it's not going to be James Franklin. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. So, what are you waiting for? Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for 2021. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, gang, this is a fun one. We're also going to dive into some thoughts Bill had on week three in the NFL, and it's going to dovetail into some pretty interesting stuff about offensive line coaches. This is the Inside Football Podcast with Bill Polian, and this is our look at roster construction during the season. What is happening, gang? We are live on the Inside Football Podcast with Will Polian, coming off the heels of one of my favorite episodes we've ever done with Mike Pereira. Still still got my, my fandom nerd out from that one. How are we doing today, guys? Good. Good. Thank you. Uh, interestingly enough, before we get going on the other subjects, let's put a bow around uh, the Mike production. Uh, we had a big game-shattering miss game-changing miss by the officials uh, this week in the uh, Detroit-Baltimore game uh, where they fouled up the uh, the clock. The clock didn't foul up. They fouled up the administration of what should have been a penalty. Uh, Baltimore should have been called for um, uh, delay of game, and uh, that would have pushed – the field goal try back to 71 yards, which I, I doubt they would have oh. um, gone for. And uh, it would have, with two or three seconds on the clock, it would have re- resulted in a Hail Mary, uh, which may or may not have been successful. Um, but the kick, which is which may well put Tucker into the Hall of Fame, should never have been made, uh, at, least from that, at least from that distance. And, um, 
and the there is an easy fix to it. The easy fix is to take it out of the hands of the back judge uh, who may have been out of position, may have been screened out, may have just been slow. In, uh, in, he, he, I heard yesterday from an authoritative source that he said that he didn't think the clock went to zero. That's impossible. He could not have seen it because it's synced up with the, the television. So you can see it clearly on TV. There, there's an easy fix. So, wait, yeah, that was one of the questions. That was one of the questions from the broadcast. Right. Were, was the, what we see or we seeing on TV, was that completely synced to the official game clock? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So therein lies the easy fix. Uh, make that reviewable, make that play reviewable, and let the, the pseudo sky judge or whatever they call him that's in the replay assistant that's in the booth uh, – Call down to the field immediately and tell the official wave it off. Stop the play. We've got a we've got uh, um, we've got a delay of game and uh, and and away you go. So just to get into this for a second, because it, it's also kind of interesting with what we talked about with Mike Bill with you know the rules and then the the approved ruling the application of the rules, which is you know I think of as black letter law and case law, because my understanding is that the actual way they administrate this is whichever judge should be looking at the clock and seeing the clock, sees the clock, and after he sees it hit zero, you don't blow the whistle then, he then looks to the center, and if the center is in the process of snapping the ball, they allow that to has been tradition. That has been the way it's been that's correct. That's the correct mechanic. So in this case, the the delay was that the begin that that the center had not even started snapping the ball, therefore was not in process. Therefore, there's those sort of slight wiggle room in the mechanics were not appropriate because that's supposed to take about a second. It took one point five seven seconds, right? I think that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, it was way too, as Gene Sterator said on CBS after the game, it was far too long to 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 be explicable, explainable by the official looking at the clock and then looking to see if the ball is snapped. Now, why wouldn't he be able to see the I mean, I know where he is, but the- he's way in the backfield. He's way in the backfield. And 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 the, the, someone could be blocking the center. There could be a nose tackle over the center. There could be so there could be a a defender in the way there could be another official in the way I, I thought he said he didn't see the clock hit zero which would mean he, he claimed he didn't see the clock hit and, zero but there's no place on the field where you can't see one of the clocks That's I mean, absolutely I, correct i mean that was just uh, i will say one other thing a misremember to be charitable just in a fairness i mean justin tucker's one of the greatest kickers in the history i mean both in terms of well, that's fine, but that's that's immaterial. You're right. I'm just referring to absolutely nothing to the play. But I'm saying he's a hall. In my mind, he's a hall of fame kicker. Anyway, that's all. Well, you would be proud of us at our house. I turned to my father-in-law and said, "Bill's gonna hate this." Yeah. Well, that was obvious. <laughs> that was obvious. And and what what's interesting, uh, I thought also, and very uh, speaks to the sort of divide we have in the country about what people want to read in terms of reinforcing in echo chambers. When you read everything in the Detroit press, they were going crazy. In the Baltimore press, 
they're making it very iffy and maybe, and then, you know, kind of defending the thing. I mean, it's all, you know, as my old undergraduate constitutional law professor Bill used to say, it's all a question of whose ox is being gored. <laughs> so that's where you come in things. But the, but the, you know, was it John Adams that said facts are st stubborn things? Uh, the facts are that they missed right. it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's no two ways about it. And it's easily rectifiable. The question will be, I, there's no question, I, 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 I don't think, but what the competition committee will change this. Yeah. They'll make the play reviewable. Um, whether they do it now for the rest of the season or they do it in the offseason, which I suspect is, is what they will do, um, it, it's going to get done. It'll change. But they, but one thing they can't do is change the outcome of that game. Oh no, no, they can't change the outcome of the game. No, absolutely not. And it won't matter for Detroit and and you know Baltimore. Uh, I, I won't save this for for this last segment, but Baltimore's living on borrowed time. They they should be two. They should be one and two at this point in time. Yeah. And so that won't hold up over time. That luck won't hold up over time. Yeah, it will. Not well, we won't have it today, but that that leads me to a whole nother discussion I want to ask you about. But anyway, okay, Scott. All right, well, here we go. Well, Bill, we did not pick this topic because me and all of my friends are a little bit nervous, but we're keeping our temperature down. But we wanted to dive a little bit into and talk broadly about your philosophy around roster moves during the season, how they work, cap applications, and all those kinds of things. So, in terms of roster moves during the season. Can you talk a little bit about what your philosophy was and then how the division of labor worked in the front office during the season? Sure. Let me explain first and foremost, what roster moves define roster moves during the season. The first are what we call fringe back of the roster moves that would start with rotating spots on the practice squad. There's a 16-man practice squad now, so you have some rotatable spots in order to try out as many players as you can. Now, the reason for the 16-man practice squad is that the coaches want a full complement of players to act as a scout team every week. And since they don't have walk-ons and red shirts in the National Football League, because walk-ons and red shirts don't get paid, they, they, they have people called the practice squad who get paid upwards of $100,000 a year if you stay on it the whole season. So they, they, they have to have enough people to practice based upon where their injury situation is in a given week. So if you're short of DBs, for example, in a given week, then you'd go out and add DBs to the practice squad. Hey, Bill, so do the practice squad players get – do they get paid the same way players do where they get game checks, or how are they compensated? Okay. Yes, they get game checks. Mm -hmm. So that's one move that you would make during the season, filling the practice squad either to get a full complement of practice players or because you want to continually churn some positions and, and look for people. We did not believe in churning. We, 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 we did not believe in churning, period. So, But there are teams that do, New England's being one of them. Second way, the second reason you add players is because a player – that you have a very high opinion of becomes available via the waiver wire. So let's, for argument's sake, say that you have a very high opinion on a guard, Ryan Lilja, uh, who is tiny by the standards of the National Football League. Nobody else would really want him. 
but he fits perfectly for us with the Colts. So he's a claim, and you claim him, and when you get him, you cut somebody from the active roster in order to let him come on and make your team better. Those are relatively rare, relatively rare. The third way you add players is, there's actually four ways here. The third is off the street. The same criteria holds true. Is there a guy on the street who's better than the guy you're playing with or the guy that would come up from the practice squad? If, if that's the case, then you add him and you cut somebody from the regular roster. Now, waiver pickups and street guys, get if they go to the active roster, get paid full salary. So cap consequences come into, come into the picture. Do you have cap room to accommodate the guy? If he's on the street, he has no contract, but you have to negotiate a contract with him that's cap friendly. Otherwise, he won't come. So are those contracts prorated? How does that work? Yes, they're prorated. They're, pro- they're, they're prorated. Yeah, they're absolutely prorated. So um, the those would be the ways that you would add players in a in a voluntary way. I'm doing this right, right. to make my team better. One way or another, yeah. The involuntary way you add players is when a top player goes down and almost always when you have a rash of injuries at a position, which frequently happens, Lady Luck not only doesn't smile on you, she urinates on you. And so, <laughs> pardon, pardon the... the the indelicate reference there. Right? <laughs> Bill, that was the left out verse from Guys and Dolls and Luck Be a Lady tonight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when that happens, when you get one injury to position, you usually get a couple of more. That can be exacerbated by the age of people at a certain position. So in Tampa Bay's case, they've got some injuries at you know, a rash of injuries in the defensive backfield, but they also got some guys that are, you know, relatively old on the team. So they could have future injuries there that would be a problem for them throughout the season. That's involuntary because you have to take the person who's injured and need to put them on, make them inactive or put them on injured reserve, one of the two. So then you are forced either to make a trade as Jacksonville and who, who traded with Jackson? I'm drawing, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Pittsburgh. Uh, no, Carolina. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was thinking the wrong trade. Sorry. You know, your Carolina, you, you lose your number one draft choice. Yeah. Excellent DB who was, you know, looking like he had a shot at rookie of the year, certainly playing and playing well. And you lose him for the season. Now you have to go make a trade that you didn't want to make uh, and give up something you don't want to give up. That's involuntary. Uh, so those are the ways that you add players during the season, none of which are particularly palatable because it, it almost always means that you're either deficient at a position in terms of skill and competitiveness or because you're fighting off injury. Two, two questions in follow-up, Bill. One is just the mechanics. You've told our listeners who are internally the longtime listeners have heard this a number of times in, in great detail, how you set up a draft board and follow draftable players, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's 1700 guys who are going to flow through the NFL about every year that would these days, a, 
how do you go about being aware in, in any, with any depth so that you can make a move like that in, in terms of these, these, you know, better guys, but also the fringe guys who might be better than the, the where you now have a hole. And the second thing is, if you do have to make a trade, which is, you know, the emergency situation, what is your philosophy about wanting, being willing to give up a player versus giving up a draft pick? Two very different questions. Slightly related, but very different. Yes, yes, yes. Let's, ask, let's answer the first one by describing what a pro, typical pro personnel operation would look like. If you look at, um, at a team's press guide, you'll see scouts and executives listed. One will be pro personnel director. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll likely be a person with the title of personnel director, another with the title of pro personnel director. Uh, another with the title of director of college scouting. Those titles are are, are descriptive. They're, they're, they're self-identifying. Then there will be anywhere from six to nine college scouts. That's what they do. They specialize only in college. And then there'll be anywhere from three to five pro scouts and a pro director. They specialize only in NFL and CFL players, pro players. Um, the way you divide the workload up is to give each of the pro scouts, if you have four, a division and a half, I've come to believe with the expansion of, uh, uh, of rosters and things like that, you need six pro scouts, one for each division. And your own division, you, you know well, you know, everybody knows that. You don't need somebody to cover your own division. So they specialize in the division. When I was a pro scout way back when, uh, I spent upwards of five hours a day reading the sporting news, uh, the New York Times. Sporting news was particularly helpful. The football news, sporting news was weekly. Football news was weekly. Times was daily, uh, following every transaction and then going back and making notes on the people that I was responsible for. Nowadays, it's a lot easier because everybody gets the film. And so the pro scouts go over the film of, 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 of teams to whom they are assigned and, and they grade everybody every week. So there is a computerized file on all of those 1,700 players. You're not interested in all 1,700, obviously. Right. And, and right. so, for example, you know, you might, if you were, responsible for the Indianapolis Colts in our heyday, you might write a cursory report on Peyton Manning knowing full well that right. he's not leaving. Right. That's not uh, happening. That's not happening. And even if he did, you'd have enough film to be able to go back and in a 24-hour period get a, get a perfectly good report on him. Uh, what you want to concentrate on are the mid-level players who may become available via trade or otherwise. And, and, and you have to be in-depth on those. And nowadays, and even in our day, we were able to make the computer interface work in such a way that when you push Scott Schaefer's button, up comes all his college data and all his pro data. So all I have to do is, as a general manager is go to my computer and put and bring up Scott Schaefer. And nowadays, I will get not only all of his data, 
and all of the reports written on him, I'll get all of his film. Yeah. Right. So. And my pro film how- was much better than my college film. That's because you paid the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the bottom line is that there's a dearth of, um, there, there is no dearth of material available and they're responsible for everybody in their division. So if, for example, um, uh, let's just, let's just pick a name out of the, uh, Ryan Lilger. Okay. Good example. He came by the waiver wire. First thing, first of all, we loved him coming out of college and, and we loved him in, in, in the preseason film. But the first thing I, I would do would be to go to the guy who was responsible for Kansas city and say, okay, tell me about Lilja. And then tell me, tell me, you know, why are they cutting him? Are they going to cut him? Does he fit with us? He's the first stop. The pro scout responsible for that team is the first stop for the general manager when you begin to discuss a player. And he is always in any meeting that discusses that player, at least for us, he was. The pro director comes in. He will have an opinion. Um, he probably, the pro director looks at, at, at the very likely guys that will come on the wire. He looks at a lot of people and, and he will have an opinion. Uh, and both of them will have background on the guy. Um, so that, you know, the first question you ask is this guy's a good player. Why are they cutting? Well, you know, Hudson Hawks, the offensive line coach, and he wants big guys. They don't really like him. Dick Vermeil loves him. Uh, he said good things about him in the paper. My guess is that Vermeil doesn't want to cut him, but the offensive coaches may force his hand. Uh, you know, th- those are the kind of discussions that you have. That, that actually was the case, by the way. Hudson Hawk may not have been the offensive line coach. I may be wrong about that, but Dick did not want to cut him. And Dick was furious when we claimed him on waivers. He's told me that on a number of occasions. Um, so, uh, and, and I guess some people in the pro department and, and, and maybe even Carpeece and got a, got an earful from Dick <laughs> about the fact that uh, Lilger was claimed, uh, but that's how it works. And, uh, and so the pro director now, as we get nearer the November one trade deadline is compiling and assigning reports for players who are even on the rumor mill. So to use a prime example and an obvious example, everybody in the league who does not have a great quarterback, which means uh, 26 out of 32 teams <laughs> will say, give me everything you've got on Deshaun watch. Right. right. So Deshaun Pro personnel directors in the National Football League know more about Deshaun Watson than the prosecutor in Houston does. <laughs> <laughs> because every NFL team has a security department. So every NFL security department has touched every person they can touch in Houston to try and find out all there is to know about Mr. Watson's contra attempts. So uh, that, that's a perfect example of it. Now, that, that's that's the, the most glaring and obvious one. There are plenty of other players who might or might not be available by a trade who people are, are studying. And if you have a glaring weakness, as the Panthers did once they lose that number one corner and, and they see themselves as a contending team, then the, the general manager says to the pro personnel, and sometimes he doesn't even have to, 
when I when I was the pro director, you know, I prided myself on being able to go to Coach Stevenson and say, "Listen, you know, uh, our left corner is not cutting it. it, it do you do you want me to go looking in the marketplace?" And his answer would be, "Yeah, go ahead." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you anticipate that, right, right, and 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 you get ready for trades. In the old days, the teams with the best scouting operations and the most efficient scouting operations did best. Yeah. There were teams, I won't name any, that were awful. And then you could police. <laughs> and, and, and if they offered you somebody in the trade, you know, you'd research the guy and and you'd say, yeah, this guy's pretty good. Why are they trading him? And someone in the room would say, yeah, that's them. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah you're right. <laughs> right, right way to say there. Yeah, like when we traded Champ Bailey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was good. So, so that that's that's how those things develop. And when I say someone in the room, these are never unilateral decisions. Never. And they're all personnel department decisions with all the inputs that I've given you. So that a meeting that a meeting that talks about a let's talk about a Champ Bailey trade as a as a prime example. This is a this is a blue player, a, a, an outstanding player who's coming on the market, and for whatever reason, and you figured out the reason, you know, right? You'd know the reason, yeah. And um, and so, or Charles Haley is another example. I mean, you figured out the reason pretty quickly why Charles Haley was on the market, yeah. So, and, and let me add an aside here. Charles Haley reminds me of a, a, a of a, an obvious situation that fans may not know of. When Charles Haley gets crossways and gets suspended by Bill Walsh, the first thing the pro scout who's responsible for the 49ers does is call a trusted media source in that city and say, hey, tell me why Charles Haley's got in trouble. And if the guy doesn't know, you may say to him, do me a favor, find out about this, okay? And the guy will say, yeah, okay, and come back to you with a generally reliable report. And it would not be uncommon for that guy to get a check for, you know, $1,500 or $1,000. Really? You know, as a way of saying thank you. Yeah, that's how yeah. you cultivate sources. Okay. Generate five candied hams. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Any number of things. Yes. A generous Christmas present. Yes. You know. Right. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. Yeah. I, I know of a case. I know of some guys who got those. Or, or you know, in, in this day and age and even in my time, because it was not necessarily reportable income. I, I'm probably ranging too far afield here, but uh, you know, as, as a thank you, a signed Jersey from your quarterback. You know, you know I, I just want to say in my experience, you know, guys become sports reporters because they like sports. And when they get a chance to talk to, I won't say Bill Pullian, because he might not have ever done anything like that, but Joe Schmo, who is the GM here or feel like, They've contributed to a team. They like that. They kind of get off on that, that, that they're. Well, and sometimes they become general managers. They're insider themselves. Well, that's, that's actually happened, but yeah. Yeah. No, we have one in the city who that just happened that way. So, Hey, Bill, to, to this point, just real quick. Remember my second question. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get to the second, but this is, this is related. So would you get, so like in terms of, I'm assuming scouting practice squad players is functionally really difficult. Because you don't get to see them, you know, you don't have any tape on them. You just hear what's happening. You're going at, you're going off their college reports and whatever preseason tape you have. But would you get? Could you get reports the same way? 
from local reporters on if practice squad players are looking really good in practice. No, oh no, 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 they won't give you that. They won't. Okay. All right. No, not if they're not if they're ethical. No. Okay. But that so that's just a straight wheel and deal, roll of the dice. You're going off whatever tape you have to try to pluck somebody off a of practice squad. Yeah. I won't say that it doesn't happen, but it, but certainly not in my experience. And and no coach or owner that I ever worked for would allow it. I mean, you don't you don't do that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I was once ordered to spy on a practice of an opponent and and I flatly refused and went to the general manager and said, Thank you, I quit. Right. And and you know, he said, No, no, don't quit, I'll handle it. And he did. Right. But now um, did they give you a video camera? No. No, I'm kidding. No, they did not. No, I'm kidding. I just kidding. they wanted me to go to the practice. <laughs> they, were, they were they were still in film those days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The, the uh, so um, it, it was not they. He it was the, the guy that happened to be the personnel director at the time. Once you compile that information, then you have a meeting which consists of the pro director, college director is usually on the road, but if he's if he's at home, he'll be part of it. The assistant GM, whoever's responsible for cap, it's usually the assistant GM would be responsible. If it's a, if it's a difficult cap issue, you'd bring the cap guy in, but not normally. At least we didn't. Uh, we did we did not want him to be privy to personnel discussions. It was, you know, what belongs to Caesar belongs to Caesar, and what belongs to God belongs to God. It, it, we didn't want we didn't want the, the two lines crossing. If there was a, spe- a specific question, bring him into the meeting, have him answer the question, and leave. I still believe that that's the correct way to do it uh, because leaks are a dangerous thing. And, you know, cap guys talk to cap guys. And before you know it, stuff's right. out there. Not that scouts don't. Right. Plus, Bill, you don't want the cap guy opining on how good of a player. I mean, why does he? Yeah. That's great. They, they, typically, they're, they're smart enough not to do that. Yeah. I mean, but they'll say, I don't I, think the value is there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Buzzword for buzzword for owners. And, right. Even that, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. So anyway, all of that takes place in a group setting. And then once all of that is vetted, then you bring the coach in. And, and he's not brought in. You go to his office and say, okay, look, at, we got so-and-so hurt. Here's who we think mm-hmm. the three best guys are. And here's what they're going to cost us. And here's how we can, you know, we think we can best acquire them. And and if, if one is far more more outstanding than the other, then you make that clear. And he may or may not check with the position coach or the coordinator, but my feeling has always been that I'll always defer to the head coach. I'll always defer, not always, but almost always defer to the coordinator. Not really interested in the position coach's point of view unless he's been with the player before and then only what the personality part of it is. Because pro position coaches are preparing for a game every week. They're not scouting. And, and as a result, they'll give you uh, – they remember what they remember of the player years before. Right. And, 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 and as Mike Giddings once famously said today, now is now and yesterday was yesterday. <laughs> right, yeah. So when you said in this fleeting over there what it's going to cost us, that's, that's not – from a negotiation, that was from a cap standpoint. That was from a this is the hit we're going to take. Were Jared draft choices involved? You give them an estimate of what it will cost. So, and and how would you would you have actually reached out to the other team 
you put an internal value on the player. So let's use the let's use the uh, the, the uh, Carolina yeah. uh, Jacksonville trade as an example. Mm-hmm. They were giving up a tight end who was a pretty good contributor to their team. Yeah. So that was something of value. That was not a throw. So then they say to themselves, listen, I'm only willing to pay a pittance in addition to this player. Right. So what's the top we would give for this guy whom we think can come in and play for us, who's got four years of control? That's important because that's part of the cost at a, at a low salary. And what, and what are we, what are we in effect giving up? So Arnold, I'm, I'm giving you my value now. This is not Matt Rule doing this equation. Don't, and I don't put, pretend to speak for him. Arnold is probably a fourth, the equivalent of a fourth. That's from a, from a, player acquisition standpoint, almost meaningless because it's hit or miss. It's 50% hit, 50% miss. Uh, and so the, the, the next question is, what would they want in addition to that? Well, the guy they're acquiring, Henderson, is a, is a one. And he's got four years of control. So if they ask for a one in return, they know they're being greedy and unreasonable because – Number one draft choices who played a little time in the league are like used cars, uh, like new cars. Once you drive them off the lot, mm-hmm. they depreciate. Just a little bit. Yeah. So the the, the best they could ask for would be a two. Right. Reasonably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you then say, I'm not paying a two for this guy. I'm not, you, this is internal. You're having conversations with yourself. I'm not going to pay a two for this guy. He's not that good of a player. And besides which, I've never forgotten this aside here. We'd put a parenthesis about this if we were writing it around it. Um, George Allen once told me, and Marv Levy reiterated, that nobody trades anybody that can help them. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I've never forgotten that. Right. <laughs> so the question is, you know, why are they trading him? Yeah. He's only played a few games. He hasn't dressed for many this year. There's a reason for that, et cetera, et cetera. So you say, there's no way I'm paying a two for this guy. That's crazy. I, you know, listen, we, we can get a guy off the street who we won't have control for for four <laughs> years, and he might play as well. Right. So then let's just say that the coach has a real feel for the guy and wants him and, and they say, eh, gee, you know, what, what do you think would be reasonable? He says, what do you think would be reasonable? What, 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 you, what could you live with? And I'd probably say, ah, we'll give him Arnold and a, and a fourth, two fourths. So if the coach is Tony Dungy or Jim Caldwell or Dom Capers or Marv Levy, he'll, uh, particularly Marv, he'll say, now, now, Marv would be okay with that because Marv was famous for undervaluing players and deals. Dom and 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 Tony might say, eh, "Listen, the likelihood is that you know he'll play for us, even if he's a backup for three more years, maybe four. What would you what would you pay for a backup backup corner?" And so, if I was stubborn, I'd say, "Ah, eh, still a fourth." 
let me say I was I was I was in a bad mood and being right. stubborn. And Tony would respond, well, you know, we had this these two guys we drafted in the third who, who weren't any good. We replaced them, you know, after two years. Yeah, you're right. We missed on them. Okay. I, I see your point. Highest I would go would be a third. So then if the if the coach is one of those guys that I mentioned, he would say, Well, okay, offer him the fourth. Offer him the two fourths and see what they say. Yeah. So, okay. So now I go back and I call my counterpart. And this is a big trade, so so it would be done by the general manager. Otherwise, the assistant GM would, would do it if it were the, you know, lesser price involved. And, and I would say, you know, what, what do you what do you want for Henderson? Oh, well, you know, Billy's a one. Um, we, we have to have a – we need a tight end badly. We've we, we got to get a tight end that can play right away and we probably a two. You know, I, I couldn't do it for anything less than a two. And uh, so now it's my turn to bait the hook. He's told me he needs a tight end badly. I know that already. So I say, well, how about Arnold? And uh, say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. We, we, Arnold, Arnold would be okay because he's done his homework as well. So I said, well, I, I couldn't possibly give you anything more than a four. Right. I mean, Arnold's going to start for you right away. That's worth it. That's worth at least a, a two. And, and, you know, he's, he's going to play a while. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. Now, if the guy's a good guy and, and, a, and, a, and a smart negotiator, he'll say, and, and particularly in that situation, he'll hide behind the coach. He'll say, yeah. Let me go back to coach and see see what he's willing to look at. Right, right. Okay. And you do the same. So, okay. I, my response would be, I, listen, I don't want to get Tony involved, but I, do you want Arnold? Yeah, yeah, we want Arnold. Yeah, for sure. All right. Then I'll go to Tony. Otherwise, I wouldn't go to Tony and bother him with this. He's got a team to coach. Yeah, okay. You, you, you go talk to your coach and I'll talk to mine and, and let's get back together tonight, okay? Okay. So... We both go and report back saying, and, 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 and they wanted to, and I offered a four. So, <laughs> you know. You know then, where you're going to meet. Yeah. And if the coach wanted him, if the coach wanted him, he would say, can you, can you bring yourself to offer the three? And I'd go, <laughs> And then you're like, I'm going to get a five back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, yeah, that's, that's, that's just window dressing. Um, and then, so if, if, if both the coach and the, and the, I, I forgot to add that once this process started, you would inform the owner that, that there's a trade in the working in, in a making and, and that here's who's involved and, and, you know, you keep them abreast of what's going on. So then I, I you know, I'd go back to him and say, listen, I've, I've spoken to Tony and we're willing to offer Arnold. We'll offer Arnold and a third. And if they won't accept that, we won't do. Right. So that's what happened. I learned this from Jim Finks. I was a, I was a shaved tail general manager. We were playing the saints in the preseason. Morton Anderson was holding out. And Jim said to me, I got to negotiate with Morton. He was the the day of the game. Uh, I got to negotiate with Morton's guy no cell phones in those days. Would you mind if I used your office? He said, you got an ante room back there. I said, no, use my, use my office and desk. I said, just one. Could I listen in? He said, yeah, sure. So sat down, listen, Jim was, 
could charm the birds out of the trees. So everything was fine and, and they were agreeing to disagree. And the agent made a, an offer and Jim made a counter and the agent came back to him. And, and, and I think essentially in the counter, Jim said, listen, this has gone, gone on long enough. I have to, I got a fish or cut bait here. You know, I can't, I can't have the coach go into the season without a kicker. So if, if you're not going to accept this, then I got to take it off the table and go elsewhere. And so the agent came back and asked for a little more. And Jim said, Jim had, had sparkling blue eyes, but when he decided to get his German up and he was partly Irish, so good combination. Yeah. It's just... uh, those eyes would turn stealing and his jaw would set and, and his tone of voice would deepen. And he simply said, that's enough. <laughs> and, and, and the guy said, okay. <laughs> Deal. Yeah. Some, you know, what we need to do, we need to get in touch with Billy Kuharik and have him send us that list of Finksisms. Oh, well, we'll get Billy on and talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll do it. We'll do a Jim Fink story. So uh, there's, you know, one of the great characters as well as one of the great professionals. So anyway, the, the, the bottom line is I've always, I've always used that. And it, and it helps me to, to, to not blow my top when the guy asks for just a little more at the end. So now in the immortal words of Jim Finks, that's enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, take, I want to try to sort of drill down deeper philosophically with this one, because it is a different question. So, cause you, you've said a lot of things you've taught us a lot over you know, the episode, there's a value on a draft pick. And obviously the higher the draft pick, the more value. But we also know that draft picks often fail, completely fail, as with our analysis of first-round quarterbacks. So when you're talking about trading a real-life player who has shown you, you, you have a track record, you know what he can do in general, you know what he can do with your team. When you are giving something for something else, what is your philosophy on giving something that could be of great value or something could be worthless, a draft pick, versus giving a known quantity? How do you weigh that? Well, if you're giving up a player um, to acquire a player, it's a pretty simple equation. Is, is the player you're giving up someone that can help you the George Allen maxim. And, and if you, if you can't, if you are, then you better be getting something better in return. Right. But what I'm saying is, would you sooner, if you could, would you rather give up a draft pick to get that player who, you know, can help you, or would you rather give up a player? No, I, I, I would rather give, well, first of all, I'd rather give up a player who couldn't help. Right. <laughs> but the, but the, the likelihood is, yeah, the likelihood is that that they're not going to accept that. Right. So good, um, you know, good, but not great. You know, I'd rather give the draft choice in that case because the draft choice is not sure to make it. And then you come into then there's nuance involved. How high do you expect to be drafting? How high if you're giving up? First of all, let's go back to the value of draft choices. Firsts are only given up for comparable players. Seconds 
are given up very reluctantly. Firsts only for blues, seconds only for reds, thirds, eh, you know, there's maybe a low red for a third. Yeah. Because don't forget, with any of those first three drafts, first three rounds worth of drafts, in the first round, you have control of the player for effectively six years if you tag him. In the in the second and third rounds, it's it's effectively four years. So you're giving up club control and low price mm-hmm. for a guy who ostensibly is not the same person and or has the same club control. So that's the nuance. And then where are you drafting? Where is that choice going to be exercised? Right. So the uh, that that's why I don't want to digress and go into the NBA. It's too complicated to explain. Um, the the bottom line is that would I rather give a choice? Yes. Would I rather give a fourth and below? Absolutely, because the odds of hitting on that yeah. are, are you know you're a loser most of the time. Yeah. Uh, that's why most trades uh, involve thirds um, and maybe a sweetener, because though that value is is in, in, in really 50-50 when it's all said and done, and and you're you're hoping to get back more than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start to get into firsts and seconds, now you better be getting a player that's going to be a difference maker. Right. So uh, to Final things here. I, I remember when I was heavily agenting and I did my analysis. Um, at that point, anyway, I saw the fifth round, the the fifth round as the one where below it there was less than a fifty percent chance of even making the team, and at the fifth round it was just about. Now I'm not talking about being a star or being a starter, but at round five you were still at a fifty fifty chance of making the team did that change or yeah it's changed the modern metrics tell you that that the fourth round is virtually 50 50 okay and then the one other thing i wanted to mention which you casually mentioned by the way let me let me just interact interject the vast majority of, of 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 your players who make up your team who are winning players who you can build your team around our first second and third round draft. Yeah. Although, of course, amazingly, there are free, you know, college free agents. Who- There's exceptions, but yeah. But 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 so the other thing you mentioned, which I, I just like you to, to expand on a little and you just threw it out there. I don't even know if you remember saying it. You said you're in this situation if you're a contender, because that brings us back to the great discussion of developing you know, a franchise versus developing the team for this year. So. Take, take into account what you do. You're, you know, a, a key starting guy goes down. You need him. If you're not a contender, if that happens when you're already, you know, you've already lost nine games in the season, how does that change your calculus? Well, you, if you if you lost nine, you're beyond the trade deadline anyway. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I was trying to make it as bad as I could. All right, the last you've lost, every, you know. Only one one game before the yeah you're 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 two and five, you know you look at if you're two and five in a seventeen game season we don't have any metrics on this, but you're probably with ten games left you're probably still alive. I mean you you could run the table and be twelve and five right. So you're gonna take that chance. Logically speaking, you could have a hot streak and finish uh, uh, thirteen and four. 
And that might be good enough, you know, to sneak into the playoffs. So that's the calculation. Do I have a chance to make the playoffs? If I have no chance to make the playoffs, if I, let's, let's, for argument's sake, say you're the Jets or Detroit or somebody that, that doesn't look like they have a lot of firepower. Then you're thinking, how do I make the team better in the future? Right. Do I, do I bring in a young player to replace this injured guy who might have some upside? Or do I go for Richard Sherman? Yeah. For one? Yeah. You got to think Goff's interesting if uh, a contending team has an injury at quarterback. Uh, yeah. No, I, I don't know how they value him. Uh, it, who knows who's making the decisions there? I mean, it's all that's that's muddled. Uh, I don't, yeah. I'd be, be loath to make a trade with them because you don't know. And well, in Goff's case, you know what you're getting, but in some of their other people, I mean, they they should try to trade Collins, right? Yeah, no taker. There were no takers. I mean, who's going to take Collins? He's a three time loser, and and you know, and and Bill sent him packing and. Patricia, you know, did that deal. So did that, yeah. So I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, you you can see on the film that he's probably not a guy you want on your team. Yeah. Um, so, and that's why, you know, when I read in the paper that well they're trying to, or on the internet they're trying to tar- trade Jamie Collins, I laugh because I say well, but then on the other hand. I know GMs, or, and I know people who worked with me who would say, give it a try. You know, someone might bite. There's no harm in it. Yeah, okay. Let's don't leak it, though. We don't We don't leak that. That hurts the marketplace. But that's Detroit, so it leaks. Yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah, they, they may see it as a trial balloon, but I think that's a trial balloon at first. Very it's true. a trial balloon that never got blown up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good transition. Yep. Into okay, we've got three weeks in the books. Bill, what did you think of uh, some of the action in week three? And how worried should I be? <laughs> how worried should you be? Folks, you know, this this whole show exists just so Bill can advise Scott about exactly. the football team. We have a lot of football team fans on the pod, so. All right. First of all, I would be loath to write anybody off at this point in time. So I would probably say we're going to do this after everybody's played five games. And I, went, I actually went back and checked, and five games is the right number because no buy will have taken place until week six. So we, everybody will be on an even playing field with five games. What I look for now is, is competitive, what I like to call competitive ability. So the Jets are not competitive as we look at them now, there are a ton of weaknesses and the quarterback is not to blame. Um, The bears are not competitive offensively because of the line and because Dalton is out, but even with Dalton back or with Foles in there, still only marginally competitive offensively and defensively there's decline there. So I worry a little bit about the bears going forward. Jacksonville is non-competitive. Um, and I think they know that. I think they know that. That's one of the reasons they're, you know, they traded Henderson. Uh, they, you know, he doesn't figure in their future plans. Um, on the other hand, Indianapolis is 
losing really tight games. And the reason is because they're undermanned because of injuries, particularly on the offensive line. They've gotten no solidification on the offensive line because of injuries. Both tackles have been out. Um, now the best guard in football is out. Um, it, it's been a mess on the offensive line. And T.Y. Hilton has not been on the field either. So they're in a they're in a position where if they can get healthy, they have a chance. The Giants have been surprisingly inefficient on defense because you'd think the talent would be better. They have not gotten any receivers, by and large, on the field. They've taken turns getting hurt. <laughs> and then tweeting about it. Yeah, well, that's another issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, are they, in the end, good enough? We don't know at this point. We don't know at this point. Um, Pittsburgh, offensive line, clearly worrisome. Clearly worrisome. Uh, ben, you know, why is it that everybody blames the quarterback? You know, Ben's arm is not as strong as it was. I mean, we can see that. We have eyes. But he's smart. He can deliver the ball on time. He's got good receivers. Dante Johnson has decided to catch the ball, which is a wonderful thing. He now is a major league contributor. Juju's still Juju. Framus is, is, is a big upgrade at tight end. Mm -hmm. um, what the hell? You know, uh, can the offensive line be solidified? Don't know. That's that's worrisome. That's Chicago of the AFC. You know, because if you can't block anybody, you can't protect your quarterback. Yeah, you can't make any plays. The running back in Pittsburgh is the real deal. There's no question about that. So they're worrisome. They're worrisome. And that offensive line is not bereft of injury. It may be bereft of talent. It's certainly bereft of cohesion. Um, defensively, they need Watt back. They need Watt back. Um, once he gets back, I think they'll be good enough defensively. So they're worrisome. Baltimore, as I mentioned previously, uh, you know, has been living under a lucky star. They should be one and two. And not and not three and zero, oh. so they're a mirage in a sense. Uh, now part of that is defensive injuries, but um, uh, you know still uh, they're not a three and zero oh team as presently constant. They're two and one. They're two and one. They lost that Raiders game. Yeah, yeah, they lost the Raiders game. I apologize. So they 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 should be they should be on uh, oh, three, three actually. But they were close to being three and zero. Oh. Yeah. But they probably should be 0-3, right? They should be 0-3 because you, you can't predict the fumble. I mean, I'll give them the fumble, okay? Uh, the, the Penn State kid caused the fumble, so I'll give them that. It's a lousy play call, and it's and it's the wrong guy carrying the ball, but I'll give them that. So 1-2. and two. Uh, They should definitely have lost this last week's game. Um, and, and to perform that way against the Lions is, oof, come on, you know, yeah, everybody – Everybody has a downer. I understand that, but still, you're supposed to get well against the Lions. Well, not not only are you supposed to get well, but you're supposed to beat them on talent alone. You're supposed to beat them on talent alone. If Lamar Jackson is the MVP, 
he finds a way to win that game. He doesn't need the referee to help. So, uh, but now, having said that, the running back situation will probably get better. Those guys are easy to replace. And defensively, um, you know, will they get healthy? We'll see. We'll find out. Um, So don't write them off. And and at two and one, you you don't write them off. Um, Are they as good as Cleveland? Uh, We'll find out. Um, In the West. It's going to be a street fight to the finish. uh, You talk about. uh, The AFC West looks tough, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it may come down to it may come down to who has the best quarterback, except that Kansas City is worrisome, very worrisome on defense. Why is Jones playing outside and not in? Uh, I'll write off the game plan against uh, against Baltimore as an aberration. You know, everybody tries something once and it doesn't work. That's fine. And and they could have won the game anyway. Should have won the game. Um so, but but they're still they worry me on defense. Uh, I don't think that's that's it's not a championship defense at the, as presently constituted. Broncos three and zero anomaly. Uh, yeah, it's an anomaly. They played three teams that yeah. So uh, the question is, does Teddy stay healthy? Number one, but please God he does. And and number two, can against San Diego, against Kansas City, against the Raiders. You know, how do they perform? We don't know that yet. We don't know that yet. Bill, do you think that the game against the Chargers was a little bit of a statement game by the Chargers and how they, especially, I think they've gotten killed from a little bit how they approached the end of that game. But I feel like that was like a, we're here, we're coming to win, and we're going to take this from you. That to me is a kind of a media statement. Okay. I'm, I'm dispassionate. Uh, you know, as a scout, I'm dispassionate. I, I, I kind of discount that stuff. I know it's important in the moment and I know it's important in preparation to get the team focused. But I think in the end, when you look at San Diego, what you see is, is, is the next great quarterback in the league, the guy that's going to stand next to Mahomes, And you're going to say, which guy do you want? These are the two best. These two are the heir to Tom and Peyton. How, how do you see Carr? Not in the not in the same league. Good, good, but not in the same league with 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 Mahomes and and, and right and San Diego's guy. But Josh Allen could get there, maybe, right? No, you don't think so. Doesn't it does not have the natural gifts that those two have? Okay. Uh, uh, let, let's let's let me see if I can give you. I hadn't prepared this comparison, so forgive me for the moment. Um, Pedro Martinez. And Roger Clemens, Josh Allen is Andy Pettit. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. No, it feels good. That's okay. The other two. True. St- unhittable stuff. And and that it doesn't mean you wouldn't love to have Andy Pettit starting. For no, you. no, you no. Andy Pettit seven days a week. You can't have the other two. You want you want Andy Pettit seven days a week and twice on Sunday. And the same is true of Josh Allen. What about Mike? Is he or is he Mike Mussina? Uh, no, 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 no. He's better than Mike Mussini. He has more gifts than Mike Mussini. All right. Mussini's pretty good down here in Baltimore. Pretty good. Uh, listen, all of Famer. But St- and Stanford guy. What doing. I'm talking about is that Kansas, you know, Patrick and the guy in San Diego have gifts 
Josh Herbert. That exceed anyone else in the league. Right. Other than the established stars, you know, Green Bay. Uh, Rodgers, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Rodgers, Brady. You know, they, they, those two guys have a chance to be uh, Hall of Famers because of their gifts. And uh, so in the end, that may, in that division, in the end, that might make the difference. I don't know if San Diego's quite as complete as they would like to be, and they need to get a left tackle back that they can count on. And I don't know if Bakhtiari comes back from injury. We'll see. Um, I don't know if they're quite as complete as they'd like to be on defense, but but we'll see. Uh, certainly Denver is very complete on defense, uh, but they are they got a little age on them. Uh, so, you know, injury will play a role there and debilitation may play a role there. Um, the Raiders are young and feisty and, 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 and thus far on defense, pretty damn good. So that one's largely could be largely decided by who's healthy and who's not. Well, and also from a fan's perspective, you get another game of the Raiders and Chargers like last year, and we get two of those this year. Let's do it. Let's watch that every week. <laughs> oh, sure. Hey, Bill, um, you, this is something I've been thinking about. Um, in offensive line, as we look around and see the ones that are having problems, some of it's injuries, some of it's talent, but I, I don't know. For some reason, I'm feeling like as a, as a group, more than any other group, I don't know what else to call it other than another line from guys and does chemistry. Chemistry seems to me, the, in other words, their ability to really truly know what the other guys are going to do, anticipate, meld into a unit. And I feel like that seems to be the place where it's most important. And if they don't, even if you have five good individuals, if they, if they don't have that ability to intuit and know and how to switch that things fall apart. Am I off on that? No, you're not off the word I often use is continuity. Here's how you construct an offensive line. You get a great left tackle. You don't settle. You get a great left tackle. You work like hell to get him. Just like you don't settle for a mediocre quarterback. You work like hell to get a great left tackle because he is the linchpin of your line. Um, the next guy you get is the center. He's got to be your smartest guy. He's got to be a leader on par with your quarterback and the other great leaders on your team. He has to be a great leader. He's got to be very tough. He's got to be very smart. He controls the whole operation. You take that off the quarterback. Um, then you need a right tackle. Um, and the right tackle these days has to be a better pass protector than he did in years past. So you're looking for a guy with really good feet and really good athletic ability. Um, you do not need a road grader there. In fact, uh, you don't want a road grader there. You want a, a more athletic guy, whether you want to run the ball or not. Um, you want a guard you can run over on third and one and fourth and one or, four, or third and three or fourth and three um, who's reliable. That's the one place where you, you, you need a road grader. And then the other guard is, uh, should be someone who's reasonably good and can handle what you need. All five need to be smart. They need to be smart because it's a position that requires intelligence and processing. You have to understand the concept. You have to understand the verbiage. You have to react to the verbiage. 
You have to react to what you see quickly in front of you, and you have to work as a unit. And then finally, they need they need continuity, and all of the the smarts and the technique and the continuity comes from the offensive line coach. I have advised any number of head coach aspirants who call me and ask questions that you know the most important hire you are going to make after the coordinator on the side of the ball that you are not expert in is the offensive line coach. Well, so in the perfect segue, as uh, Rick is navigating us well today, we actually our first audible is about this. So our uh, BP1 super fan, Jared Jiggets, asked, can BP explain to Layman what makes Munchak, Mud, and Dante the best of the OL coaches? What do they do that others can't? And uh, as his usual refrain goes, the Jets' offensive line is not good, and that's being kind. here's what they do number one they have vast understanding of scheme and they can adjust the scheme to the nuance of the personnel that they have so when things go wrong they can fix stuff to put it you know succinctly and bluntly Mm -hmm. secondly they are PhD, world-class level teachers of technique. And they can take a player who's deficient in one area and compensate for that with technique. Um, And they can take a player who has talent but is unrefined and build him into a a very competent player in in a short period of time maybe a year, uh, they can command the room. They can command the bench on game day, which is not an easy thing to do. Remind me to expound on that in a second. And they can develop because of their understanding of the personalities in that room. And keep in mind there are, you know, eight people in there. There are 12 usually, but there are eight that, are, that count. That, that all may have disparate personalities and dis- disparate, disparate points of view, they've got to be able to meld and they can meld those people together. And they can take those eight individuals and work with their individual skill sets and their individual personalities and build that into a cohesive unit. Ante famously said to me, he said, he, he expounded on what he thought was necessary physically. It was exactly the same as Howard, exactly the same. And he said, they have to be physically tough. If they're not physically tough, and keep in mind, Dante's a former Marine. If they're not physically tough, I don't want them. You can't play the position unless you're physically tough. I can make them mentally tough. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> that has right? a little uh, great Santini vibe to it. And and those three guys, all kind of disparate personalities too, by the way, have the ability to do all of those things, all of those things. And what's, what I've found interesting is that there are plenty, there are more than enough line coaches in America to stock three NFLs who can get on the black on the chalkboard 
and give you scheme. I mean, you could have a clinic every day of the week, 352 days a year, and find people to get up there and talk scheme. What you can't find are the guys who can take that diamond in the rough and teach him technique and make him mentally tough and teach him how to function in, at a high level in the NFL. And, and most importantly, most importantly, there are only a handful, only you can count them on the fingers of one hand. I'm forgetting two guys probably, and I apologize. But there are very few who can take that room and make it a cohesive unit by understanding and melding the personalities involved. So, for example, Howard Mudd, who is, who is loquacious, outgoing, um, on the field loud, um, you know, brilliant, um, can do all the things we talked about, never afraid to coach a player hard. Now, coaching a player hard, Howard Mudd and Tony Dungy's way is different from somebody who would scream and call them names and things like that. They don't do that. But they would, for example, with Tarek Glenn, who was exceptionally talented, left tackle, exceptionally bright. We didn't have any dummies, by the way. Howard wouldn't, can't live with him. He just can't. So um, we didn't bring it in. Um, you know, Tarek would get lazy with his steps sometimes. He would get lazy with, with his technique, you know, because he was so good, he could get by in most situations with with, with lack of with, with less than 100% technique. And, and technique is important. Let, let me digress a moment and say technique, uh, for those of you that have never played football or, or never seen offensive line coached at a high level, technique involves whether you take a six-inch step or, or an eight-inch step when, you, when you're going to take a a pass set. It, it, it's where you place your hand, your lead hand, when you're zone blocking on the body of the defender. It's not just reach out and, and hit him and grab him. It's where you place your hand. When you're pass protecting, are your thumbs up? Are they 12 inches or less apart? Because that's how you steer the man. It's, that's how, you know. So all this technique is critically important. And it's it's and it's never taught at the lower level as lower levels as well as it is at the NFL. So Tarek would 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 get lazy occasionally with his technique, and Howard would holler, and he'd say, "Damn it, Tarek! I told you to take a six-inch step and not an eight-inch step." And Tarek would say, "I took a six-inch step. My feet are did you, you're wrong." And Howard would say, no, I'm right. I'll show it to you on the film. <laughs> we would all be sitting there like, uh, here they go. The odd couple are at it again. <laughs> Get out the, <laughs> the slide rule. <laughs> That's exactly right. Get out the slide rule. Well, you have to have the ability to, to, to then, you know, in Howard's case, Tarek would do something good and he'd say, well, damn it, Tarek, that was tremendous. I want you to do that all the time. That's why I yell at you, you know. <laughs> and Tarek would just shake his head, you know. <laughs> so it was, and if I, like the, Jeff Saturday would say after practice on Wednesday when we were installing the game plan, 
if, if Howard did not have a practice where there were a couple of eruptions with the offensive line, Jeff would say, I'm worried. Something's wrong. Howard didn't jump anybody today. What's going on? It's not good. Russell didn't throw, Russell didn't throw up. <laughs> so the, 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 you got to have that ability for six months a year to command that room and know exactly what the nuance and, and how to approach the psychology of every player is. That's to do, you have to have a rare talent to do that. That's why they're so hard to come up. Can I, you mentioned, and you actually mentioned him earlier uh, in the show. I'd like, just like to put a, uh, a word in on behalf of Hudson Howe. I always thought yeah. he was a great, just a truly great offensive line coach. Completely different approach schematically than, yeah. But that doesn't mean anything. It's 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 how you take that group, and and then the final thing is they need to be um, really good judges of talent. And Dante, I won't mention the player. Dante told me something that 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 really crystallized everything. I said, Dante, you know this player doesn't measure up to what you um, to what you you described to me, but you, you still took him. And he's doing okay. And he said, well, we needed a guy at that position in a given year. And he was the best guy. Right. So it's my job to get the best out of him. And Bill knows, meaning Bill Belichick, and I know that he may never be an all-pro, but it's my job to make him functional. Because he was the best there was. That's all we can. We can't. We can't create somebody. And I thought to myself, wonderful, marvelous. I mean, great explanation. Great explanation. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, hopefully one day the Jets' offensive line will be better. Because we're reading these tweets almost every week. So I will say this. I I don't know the gentleman, but I've heard good things by people that I know and respect about the Jets offensive line coach. I've heard good thing. Well, there you go. All right. Well, hopefully Becton comes back healthy. Vera Tucker, maybe some things are changing. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, as always, if you have questions for us, hit us up on Twitter at IFBillPolling. We will be sure to cover them in the Audible. Here we go, Bill. How big will the ratings be on Sunday night? Is this the highest rated NFL regular season game of all time? Oh, probably. <laughs> probably. And in the end, in the end, you know what it means? Next to nothing. <laughs> it's not even a conference game. It's not part of the tiebreaker. Who, who are we rooting for in Charlotte this weekend? The quarterback or the coach? Oh, I don't know. We're rooting for anybody, really. <laughs> Bruce Aaron's my friend, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, I guess maybe we have to support Tampa. So this will, this will be fun. I think this has got to be. Those two bills have been getting along a lot better as well. Yeah, this has got to be. I think this will do it. I think this will break. Uh, let's say this. It'll break the Cowboy Patriot game in 2019 and be the highest rated game of the decade. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. By the way, by the way, just to end on this note, because I forgot to include this in teams that um, – that have surprised me thus far. And I hate to go with the conventional wisdom because I know this is conventional <laughs> wisdom. Now. Yeah, yeah. But the Cowboys offense is dynamite. Pretty good. The Achilles heel is the offensive line. 
And so it has to solidify and it, and it, and it, and, and it has to survive the Collins suspension. And, and, you know, uh, and I think they will. And defensively, they have to continue to improve, but the improvement is dramatic. And in that division, it, it may well be more than good enough. I think it is. Um, I think it might so be. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Also, Micah, Mike will be better by the end of the year, don't you think? Mike? Micah Parsons. Line him up and let him go, baby. He looks so much better Monday night. Robert Mathis, let him rip. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 real. He's the real he's the real real. It's gonna be fun. All right. It pains me to say this, but they are they are actually fun to watch. That was fun on Monday night. All right, gang. All right. See you guys. Thanks, everybody. Be careful out there. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.